Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume six, issue 291. Play along with the show. We have a few left in this volume of 2017. Uh, the entire schedule can be found on the Cane and Rinse website, up to and including issue 300. And our next five shows include The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, Beyond Good and Evil, Capcom versus series and all the superhero games and all the mashups and all that. Following that, it'll be Project Gotham Racing 3 and Project Gotham Racing 4. I believe we're going to record that one nice and early to uh, account for Carl's absence. And then it'll be Mega Man and Mega Man 2. Head to canerinch.com, as I say, for articles, features, reviews, links to our forum, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel. And if you enjoy what we do, you can support us in a number of excellent and wonderful ways. We have a Patreon because it's 2017 and we put an enormous amount of hours and effort and time into what we do. Hours and time. Tautology. Uh, but for the price of a dollar a month, which is uh, currently under 80 pence, I believe, less than a euro, uh, you can contribute. And as we announced a little while ago now, uh, actually we'll be coming up to the end of our campaign of uh, trying to hit $3,000 a month. We may or may not make it, but still every dollar that you contribute will be very gratefully received. Uh, we need to know sort of where we stand by mid to late November so we can plan our next year's podcast. The plan is that uh, if and when we were to hit $3,000 a month, we could actually make more because more of the team would be able to devote their full time to Cana Rinse. But uh, regardless of the campaign, just, uh, you know, the, the donations keep going up every month we have more and more patrons and we're also exploring looking at ways that we can uh, reward patrons while keeping uh, all the podcasts uh, free for everyone to listen to ultimately uh, anyway head to patreon.com slash and help us there uh, you can also buy t-shirts and bags and each purchase of those nets us a couple of quid or so shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash you can find the buttons to all these things right at the top front center of the lovely new look uh, version of the website canerince.com and also don't forget our video games music podcast sound of play and that's out every wednesday and you can review rate subscribe to both of our podcasts on itunes or whichever other platform you get them from via rss feeds and other such uh, mechanics that i don't fully understand thank you for listening to that and now joining me leon cox in issue 291 are carl moon hey guys and oh my goodness welcome back it's brian Taran. thank you hello Hello. Uh, Brian was a member of the team, but then his life got crazy busy. Uh, but he's still our friend. So here he is back talking Grim Fandango. And also uh, a sort of member of the extended Cane and Rinse family is Thomas Quilfelt. Hola, Angelitos. Very nice. Uh, Thomas, you may have heard if you also subscribe to Sound of Play on our Sound of Play Extra shows, where he's done some uh, fascinating interviews with people from the games music industry, because his other job is in... Well, one of his other jobs, I should say, uh, is for a... Well, it's a record label. It is a record label in, that happens to in, put out video game vinyl, uh, among other things. Yeah. Check out Laced With Wax. Get your plug in early. We can do that. It's all right. Uh, okay, so today we are talking Grim Fandango. This was a LucasArts game. Uh, it's also kind of a Double Fine Productions game because this was very much a Tim Schafer thing. And uh, with the help of Sony, they got the rights back to do the remaster. We'll talk about that. Uh, directed and designed by Tim Schafer. Artists uh, Peter Chan with the incredible concepts and Peter Sakel in-game. But obviously there's uh, there's even more of a team, although it wasn't a large team, worked on this game. Uh, Tim Schafer wrote it as well. And the music was written by Peter McConnell. We'll also talk about that separately. 
I've been playing the game on the PS4, the remaster version, with the developer's commentary on, which has got some insights and some amusing anecdotes, as you'd expect from the Double Fine people and extended family. And the grime engine that this runs in was described as a real mutt. So this game is running on bits of the... Uh, Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight engine, which is the Sith engine. It's got bits of scum in there, the traditional LucasArts adventure game engine that goes all the way back to Maniac Mansion in the 80s. It's even got bits of Rebel Assault in there, the FMV-based Star Wars game. Um, it, they've used some of the video codecs and things for uh, some of the visuals. There's iMuse in there, which is the, um, the, the music scripting language, and it's all cobbled together using this language called Lua. Is that right? Does anyone know? I think... Uh, it's some I, I imagine it's some outdated thing that, that doesn't exist anymore but uh, anyway so yeah this is a real um, kind of uh, sticky tape and string job behind the scenes uh, it came out for PC and Mac uh, in October 1998 and there was also I recall a, a LucasArts Classics version which came out in a DVD case in about 2002 maybe um, because I bought that version, I remember. Uh, Mechner from the Cana Rinse Forum, we'll, we'll be hearing lots from our contributors, our community in this podcast, said, I played this as a 12 or 13 year old around 2002, 2003 on the re-released LucasArts Classics line. I am a LucasArts fanboy of the games in the 1990s as the adventure output was consistently amazing. Then uh, in January 2015, the remastered version came out again for PC and Mac, but also for PS4 and Vita and also Android and iOS. Uh, this was developed by Double Fine with help from Sony to secure the property after Disney's acquisition and closure of LucasArts. Uh, so this improves uh, the models and textures on the polygon art. Uh, and uh, a fully orchestrated score, or at least a real instrument score, and that developer commentary. And Jobo Bonobo from Kana Rinse Forum says, the PS4 remake was my chance for me to get my hands on this, and I can see why gamers generally speak fondly of it. It has a fantastic art direction, original world building, fun characters, snappy dialogue, cracking soundtrack, and an intriguing story. You can absolutely tell this was a project born out of pure passion and love for storytelling, and such work should always be welcome in gaming culture. Back in the day, the game reviewed very, very well on uh, PC, particularly where it was reviewed uh, by at least 30 outlets, probably more. But uh, Game Rankings has the mean average of those reviews as 92.97%. Uh, when it came out again, the reviews for the remastered version were still pretty positive at 85% or a little over. Looking at user ratings how much people still like this game if they've you know registered their interest on imdb from 2500 almost uh, punter scores it's 9.5 out of 10 meanwhile over on metacritic uh, it's 9.1 out of 10 from 500 odd uh, people who have put their their scores in um, it won a ton of awards adventure game of the year awards at uh, places like pc gamer ign GameSpot, uh, computer gaming world and uh, it was nominated for various Academy of Interactive Arts and Scientists, uh, Sciences Awards as well. Uh, according to Tim Schafer, the game has lifetime sales of roughly half a million copies. It is commonly considered a commercial failure, even though LucasArts said that Grim Fandango met domestic expectations and exceeded them worldwide. Schaefer has affirmed that the game was profitable, although Dave Grossman, a former colleague, said it was pretty ambitious and expensive, and I don't think it made very much money back. 
So that's the history of the game from a cultural point of view. But what about our individual experiences of playing Grim Fandango? Let's start with the returning Brian. Uh, well, this is my first time playing it, actually. And I only started playing it a couple of weeks ago uh, when you called me to see if I wanted to join the show. Um, back when I was a kid um, and playing a lot of PC games, adventure games were my thing. I loved all the LucasArts point and clicks. Um, I, I think the last one I played back then, or the last one certainly that my machine would run, was Full Throttle. Uh, and then I, mm, I remember Tim all, previous game. Yeah, and I remember all the uh, build up to the release of Grim Fandango and being really intrigued by it, and really excited to experiencing it to experience it. But I never got the opportunity. My PC died, and I moved on to to console gaming. Um, so I was really excited when they announced they were doing the remaster. Mm. Um, it got released and for whatever reason I didn't purchase it at the time uh, and then I forgot about it uh, I think <laughs> it went it went on to um, PS Plus didn't it at one point yes. yes that's right yeah and so I excitedly downloaded it that day and forgot about it mm-hmm. um, and then it, it was literally you, you, you'd you said do you, want to, do you want to do the show and I thought well it was on my Steam wish list I'd bought a new PC uh, in the meantime and uh, yeah, as luck would have it I think it was only pound or something at the time i got it so yeah downloaded it and uh, played it the past couple of weeks ah, interesting okay I've, for some reason i must have assumed that you were some kind of uh long-term mega fan hence asking no, me to be on the show but well i'm a i'm a, a fan of tim schaefer i'm a fan of the the genre i'm a fan of cool the, the games it's just this this one was just the one that got away from me that's really interesting so yeah you'll have also have a, a fresh perspective on it now thomas you've got a very specific and somewhat tragic uh, history with this game in some ways uh, that's right yeah so i played it on pc back around release or rather i was introduced to it by a mate uh, who i was quite close with at the time and i remember we played it together over new year's eve 1998-99 and we stayed up to about four in the morning and we just could not work out that bloody forklift puzzle for the life of us Oh, so me, I've yeah. got those. I've still got memories of that music, like stuck looping in my head, uh, mm. just going back and around Ruba Carver, driving ourselves crazy. And eventually, we just had to fall asleep. Um, uh, and then after that, I sort of went back to it by myself and fell in, really fell in love with it. And it, I consider it one of uh, a group of games from that time that hit that that golden window when you're younger, when you're sort of thirteen to eighteen years old or something. The, the games you play and fall in love with in that time, it's difficult to kind of judge critically later on. So for me, it's like mm. Tomb Raider, Final Fantasy VII, Metal Gear Solid, and, and this one falls in that group. So it's a bit difficult for me to kind of critique it because I, I played it over and over again. And obviously, once you know all the puzzles, you can make it uh, more about the story. And then, uh, yeah, I was really looking forward to the, delighted to hear about the remastered version, especially the soundtrack because um, I was a huge fan of that. I played it on P- uh, iPad last year, um, which I really enjoyed. And then I played it on P- okay. uh, ran through it on PS4 last week with the developer's commentary and just sort of really steamed through it to get ready for this. But yeah, the, the weird thing is that the, the guy I, the mate I played it with till 4am was, was murdered in June this year as part of the London mm. Bridge terror attack. Um, and, and I'd sort of, he wasn't a very, very close friend, but he's he's definitely a close friend of, of many close friends of mine and part of the extended group. And I sort of recently sure. made up with him late last year, not made up with him, but saw him again and reconnected with him late yeah, last year. And, up, yeah. and then, and yeah, the weirdest, weirdest thing, that terrible tragedy happened. And um, 
and so being asked to do this show is like oh wow that's this game's going to have some quite strange memories for me mm. um so so yeah so it sort of reminds me of of a very odd and um important event that happened in only recent history yeah yeah and it's sort of obviously that's a particularly striking and and horrific uh one but it's it's an illustration of why we talk about context when we when we come why we always do this little section in in the podcast because obviously it will have an effect now on on some level you you know you you'll still find grim fandango funny but there might be you know there's going to be all kinds of mixed up emotions particularly powerful in in this case so it'll be interesting to hear um yeah, so sorry. Have, did you say have you been back to the game, or did you did you just play it the back in the day kind of thing? No, no, no. I've completed it probably six or seven times since then. Wow. PC. Oh and, yeah. Okay. Uh, You're saying yes. You've returned to yeah, it for story reasons. And, Good. And, cool. And PS4. So I know. So that's the weirdest thing is I kind of I played it so much after that that uh, frustrating New Year's Eve experience. Yeah. So that I, okay. I now think of it very fondly as the sort of game I think about uh, by myself. But yeah, just. Mm. Uh, weird recent events bringing it back up for a different reason and and mainly that bloody forklift uh puzzle just um haunting yeah. haunting me yes yeah, so i've made a i've made a note of each of the major puzzles that i got stuck on uh one or two in each year uh, we'll talk about those when we get to that puzzle section carl uh did you buy this in 98 or was it uh the re-release or just more recently no for me it was the uh, 1998 big box release uh, yeah. Right at Good launch, stuff. I was a huge fan of sort of point-and-click adventure games, and though this isn't strictly point-and-click, it was leading on from the the Lucas Arts games that I'd, I'd loved so much, and it was something that I was excited for at the time. the The previous point-and-click game I'd played prior to this was Blade Runner, uh, which we covered in episode two hundred and eighty-seven, and it felt at this point like the genre was a little bit on the wane. But we had one last effort coming from Tim Schafer, so uh, for me. Grim Fandango had to be picked up uh, at launch. And that, yeah, I played it and struggled through with it on the PC. I was going to say, how did you get on with it? I mean, <laughs> um, I mean we'll, we'll talk about the controls and stuff anyway, but that was, that was a major sticking point for me at the time, especially leading away from point and click, uh, mm. which, which was a formula that I really liked. Does it, does so, it become tank and look? A tank and look adventure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty much exactly how it played on the PC. Uh, at, at the time and, and it was a, a little bit strange and I battled through it and the, the strange thing is I had really strong memories of the start of the game and I could have sworn that I'd finished it but playing through the remaster I don't actually think that that was the case and I think stuff had become clouded and crossed which is really kind of bizarre for mm. me because I'm normally quite clear on on things like that um, so I, I battled through it at least until the second year on the PC, possibly further, but it's a little bit cloudy on that. And then I picked it up the day that the remaster was released on PC. And then I later picked it up on PlayStation because I wanted a copy on the consoles. And I thought originally it would be something nice to play on the Vita, uh, though I played it on the PS4. And I actually picked that up the same day that I bought Soma, uh, <laughs> another game that I totally forgot that I'd owned and uh, the Shadow of the Beast remaster. And so it was weird going back and looking through my history and seeing all these games that I'd bought. But as a result, I thought I'll stick with it and I'll play it on the PS4 rather than the PC this time. So mm. I've, I've bought it, uh, two versions of the remaster and the actual big box uh, day one release back in the day. Cool. 
yeah, I didn't have a gaming PC in 98. So this was one of the games I was looking on at with envious eyes, probably hoping for a PlayStation port or something like that. Uh, in the end, I got a PC in about 99, 2000, and I ended up playing Escape from Monkey Island before I ended up playing this because I was a huge fan of the Monkey Island series. And that game was crushingly disappointing from my point of view. Like it just wasn't anywhere close to the the writing of the uh, of the earlier Monkey Island games even Curse which I think was already a bit of a step in the wrong direction but uh, so I was actually although I knew that Grim Fandango was different writers uh, including one of the guys who wrote a lot of the gags for, for Monkey Island uh, I guess I was slightly put off of the look of the game even though I think the art the the art direction which we'll talk about is uh, is stellar um i wasn't sure if i wanted to play this kind of pre-rendered uh, backdrop stuff that said we, we were only a few years after uh, Re uh, resident evil and final fantasy 7 so it didn't seem too much of a leap so i did pick up that lucasarts classics uh, re-release i don't remember how far i get i think not very far at all i think i got as soon as i got stuck on a puzzle i put it down and, and didn't come back to it for years then the remaster came out <laughs> so fast forward 15 years pretty much uh, i got that on steam when it was in a sale for for a handful of quid and then i got the ps4 version in uh, for free as it were in ps plus on ps plus and uh, that's the version i played um yeah so this is your spoiler warning listeners we're going to spoil probably this plot and a lot of the puzzles so uh if you want to if you if this game has long been on your desire to play with list i would do that before listening to the rest of this show um but then there may be arguments from some of our uh panelists and correspondents that Maybe you just want to hear about the game rather than actually play it, but uh, getting ahead of ourselves. So let's talk about the scenario, the setting, the story and the script. We've got some cor correspondence here. And as I say, we've got some uh, quite strongly negative correspondence from somebody who's come to the game uh, quite recently. But I think it'll be an interesting jumping off point. Um, we've also got some really fond stuff as well. So we'll start with C.H. Davis from the forum who says, the game deserves some credit for weaving a decent story, but it's nothing to write home about. I found Manny to be such a weasel, I honestly didn't think he deserved to board the double-end train. Manny takes advantage of other characters, lies and steals to finally get to Meche, despite only having met her for a few minutes. Manny's actions make it clear that he is selfish and conniving, and that his pursuit of Meche is just an excuse to leave his life behind and people who helped get him there. Much of the relationship that Manny has with other characters is implied more than shown, which leads to many confusing moments where characters die and we were supposed to care, e.g. Lola in year two. Overall, the story is so disjointed and unearned, I wondered if I should have spent my time reading a good book rather than slogging through the last two sections of Grim Fandango. Oof. Yeah, there's, there's, there's plenty more when that came, where that came from, from C.H. Davis. Whippledip, meanwhile, says... Manny is a great protagonist in that he's not exactly the best person. He explicitly points out that a few times that he's been made to do that job to pay off his sins from his living life in order to gain entry to heaven. But following him trying to redeem himself makes for a pretty good motivation to follow his story. Even if I wish it got a bit more time compared to the overall crime noir story, his actions after he met Meche are the result of him trying to atone for his mistakes, which turns out weren't even his fault, and nobody actually helped him get to his meagre station in purgatory. When he catches up... 
To Meche, she actually rebukes him for being so singular in his vision to only help her and not everyone else who has suffered an extended stay in purgatory because of him. The people in the world that Manny does manipulate aren't exactly paragons of humanity either, the key difference being that they're not making any effort to atone or change themselves. There is an argument to be made that the only reason they live in purgatory forever is because they're evil by nature and never prove themselves worthy of ascending to heaven, hence forming their own kingdom of sorts within that world. So we sort of talked a little bit about uh, the setting there, as uh, as people will probably know, it's based around uh, the Day of the Dead, uh, Mexican or Aztec mythology, Dia de Muertos, uh, All Saints Day, which is early November, follows All Hallows Eve, which is the one we celebrate, I suppose, especially in America, um, and takes place in the land of the dead and across the four-year uh, supposed journey through purgatory. So, uh, Brian, story and setting. So you've come to this recently. How did you feel about it? I, I mean, I really I really like the, um, the film noir aspect of the story. Mm. I like the fact that Manny is a flawed character. It's really in keeping with the, the genre to, to have a kind of anti-hero role. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really love most about the setting is I love the the, the way they twist the the concept uh, in order to fit sort of these quite um, boring jobs around yeah. quite a grand idea. You know this this idea of working your way through uh, the various different levels of the afterlife. Um, the the whole so Grim Reaper angle to it so manny is one of a number of grim reapers who come and they're you know they're just office drones aren't they they're processing souls travel getting agents them, yeah. travel agents yeah getting them ready for their their, their big trip on the afterlife and I, I really i really liked that i like the way they bring in that kind of um reality i guess to what is essentially quite a high concept but mm. it really it really works i think it really it really worked for me and the whole visual style of it and feel it all it really meshed Hmm. Carl, you'd have been quite young when you first played this. I don't, don't know how familiar you were with this whole kind of culture thing. I think I feel like for me, even as a, a middle aged guy, it, feel, it feels like something that the West has kind of got to know better over the last couple of decades than maybe when this game came out, the whole Day of the Dead, Dia yeah. de, de Muertos thing. Um, there was the odd cartoon in my youth that would reference right. upon stuff like Day of the Dead or certain Mexican wrestlers um, when I was into my wrestling would reference. Whole Lucha Libre stuff. Yeah, yeah. the Lucha Libre. Um, and for for that, I was kind of aware of the Day of the Dead. I wasn't so um, educated in it that I knew the, the the perfect ins and outs. But I don't necessarily yeah. think even playing this, it's necessary uh, yeah. having that that sort of the the knowledge and building upon the humor of that and with the the obviously the the relevance of death and being dead added for a lot of. Uh, a, a lot of groundwork for morbid humour that they could build upon, which is very much fits within the, the Tim Schafer wheelhouse. So even though I was only, what, 14 in 98 mm. when it came out, it, it definitely uh, tickled me with its humour. Uh, it, it fit very much along the kind of humour that I was enjoying in the point-and-click games. Uh, in yeah. fact, it was actually arguably a lot clearer and less confusing than many of the other point-and-clicks that came before it. So, regardless yeah. of not knowing that much about the Day of the Dead, it would it, you could it could quite easily visually reference that stuff for jokes. Mm. Thomas, how did you feel about the the scenario and setting and the script? So when I first 
played it, I think um, a lot of that Day of the Dead stuff would have gone a little bit over my head. But mm. I really love a good romance. And in particular, I really love the film Casablanca. And mm-hmm. so what this uh, was doing with a lot of noir films that I hadn't seen at the time, I still haven't seen many of them, really resonated with me. And I loved the, the sort of 30s vibe of it. Um mm. And all the films, you know, in the in the director's commentary of the remaster, you get a lot of this. So they talk about on the waterfront in relation to unions and the communists, and you get City of the Lost Children for the sort of underworld, yeah, water section. Sorry. Um, so I just love that it's this very international um, uh, game, and it's just got such strong flavors. And and anything that gets out of Star Wars sci-fi fantasy. Um, is you've got to create a whole new world. And I think Tim Schafer's sort of uniquely good at, at that. But I, I fell in love with the love story, I think. Even if, mm. coming back to it, it it's a bit thin. Um, yeah. But I love the... I think I always liked the chemistry between the voice actors. Um, and the sort of, like I say, the international flavor of it you know with spanish and south american and cuban mm. and mexican and there's the french croupier and there's mm-hmm. there's all the sorts of spanish um there's an irish character in there yeah there's all the well. yeah. all of the ihole and the um the the sort of back and forth between manny and glottis the the buddy stuff really really appealed to me so um it's it's just pure positive vibes for me apart from the odd uh, uh, frustrating puzzle, but even then, uh, Ruba Carver is such a a great setup. There's so much swagger to it. The fact you can slide down the stairs and Glottis is doing <laughs> this whole kind of lounge pianist thing, and he's going, yeah. "Oh, I remember last night," and I, I absolutely love all that stuff. And then um, even when you get to the the waiter in the um, the club, and <laughs> and you lock him in the the, the cupboard, and he's he's got um, claustrophobia, and he's like, I don't like this teeny tiny room, and all of the accents. I thought it was just brilliant. The delivery of the lines really really sold it to me. I think if it hadn't been um, voice acted as well as it was, um, uh, I wouldn't have liked it half as much. Mm. Mechner from the forum says Tim Schafer's writing is some of his best here, mashing up Noir and Day of the Dead seamlessly. The whole four-year journey of the dead being sold as a travel package is a genius idea. The characters are all well-rounded and, ironically, full of life. Each line of dialogue being carri- is being carried expertly by its voice actors, especially Manny's voice actor, Tony Planner, who, weirdly enough, is probably most well-known from Ugly Betty. <laughs> he delivers Manny's dry wit, roguish charm and Mexican flavour, although he's actually a Cuban actor, uh, with ease and confidence it is hard not to instantly fall in love with Manny. I would also like to point out that one of the most overwhelmingly beautiful parts of the game is in year two. Manny makes his way up to the lighthouse to meet Lola, only to find her sprouted uh, interjection. That's uh, because you can't kill dead characters. They came up with this idea that they get uh, kind of... They get implanted (laughs) with seeds. They get brought back to life. Brought back to life, yeah. as separate flowers which then disperse so they're sort of essentially being blown to the winds thank you nicely explained Uh, uttering her final words as she dies ironically in the afterlife her flowers blow to the wind as Manny mourns her passing there is something so timeless and bittersweet about the idea that even in death you can still fear it the scene is handled in a truly powerful yet subtle and layered way. It perfectly sums up the essence of the game in a nutshell. So obviously Mechner's experience, very different to C.H. Davis. Uh, yeah, um, 
just to just to come back to the yeah, to the, the buddy stuff with Glottis. I mean, I've been watching a lot mm. of Parks and Rec lately, and Glottis reminds me a lot of uh, uh, Jerry slash Larry from that show. This sort of big, bumbling, lovable guy, um, and the way they've animated Glottis and his his big bum when he squeezes out of rooms and stuff, and yeah. the nicknames they have for each other straight away. Um, just really carried me through the game you know even in frustrating sections in the woods for instance um i think their relationship always pulled me through yeah so glottis we should explain is uh, is your companion uh, throughout the game he's a a speed demon i suppose is is the gag he's uh, he's obsessed with um making motors go and then making them go faster um, he becomes your your companion, and yeah, I think for for some people, I think for a lot of people, uh, he is he, he would be considered like the heart of the game because he's uh, he's you know very out there with his emotions. Everything's on the surface kind of thing. He's quite childlike and and simple. He's kind of like a big dog if a dog could talk. Uh, but I think some people, and not me, because I'm I, I, I'm quite a sucker for these sort of characters. But I think some people may find that these kind of the pathos might be laid on a bit thick with with Glottis, but. Uh, I didn't find that. Yeah. The, that's the central relationship, I think, in the game. Uh, Meche is a is a a, a a kind of ruse to get the the story going. But you know, Glottis, as you say, is the heart, and his the the, the way their relationship uh, builds over the years. I, I really like. I think it's I thought it was done really well. Um, and the, the the structure, if we can talk about the the, the four year structure a bit, mm. the way it moves because from one year to the next. You know that there are big stretches of time in between, just the way yes. uh, the um, scenario evolves. Uh, but you know, you, you can tell that you know they've had a, a lasting relationship over that period, and they've they interact, and the kind of the way they talk to each other, and, and the the way they communicate, and the the references they make, I think, really shows it. Sort of, you 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 feel that there's a lot going on unsaid, and a lot going on behind the scenes in those gaps. So even though I think. Initially, the story can feel a bit disjointed, you know, these these chunks of these four different mm. chunks. I think that the writing does smooth over those cracks quite well, I think, in the relationships. Jobo Bonobo from the forum says, in regard to the world itself, mixing Day of the Dead with film noir aesthetics is truly inspired. The Land of the Dead is a fun and fascinating locale for the game to take place in. And my favourite things to do would be to explore a new area as thoroughly as I could and talk to the various oddballs that populate this land. The conversations you had with characters were always a lot of fun for me and I would try every option just to see what their reaction would be. Doing poetry at the Blue Casket <laughs> was a novel bit of interaction that I have never seen before and was always interesting to see if it it was possible to make your uh, poem sound in any way coherent yeah. it's these little touches that made the game an enjoyable experience for me yeah I, I, I th that bit kind of stuck out as a bit where it was very playful in the style of the old uh, the kind of predecessor games in that uh, you're you're doing an open mic night to this uh, quite you know pretentious jazz beatnik uh, hepcat kind of crowd and uh, you can piece together all these little bits of uh, sentences to make up you know, this sort of terrible piece of uh, performance art, doggerel, uh, pseudo surrealist emo poetry. And um, and of course, uh, at first you get at first you get kind of nothing. And then um, once they later once get, they like, yeah, you, they'll like click their fingers and be like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The sound of skeletons clapping was a, is a nice touch. But um, it reminded me, it made me think of the bit in, in the, the original Secret of Monkey Island with the rat, like a completely unnecessary 
um, you know, kind of a play, a, a little bit of almost sandboxy stuff. Well, it's a gag. Um, it's just an extended gag. And and what other yeah. what other game has ever let you stand in front of a microphone and say lugubrious? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but I spent a long time it took a while to cotton on to the fact that because you know you stand up and do the poetry and then you, you meet um, the club owner mm. and she'll go up and, and read some poetry and everyone will love it she nicks um, your poem I, no I didn't realise that at first I thought oh, okay. I had to try and copy her poem yeah I, so I kept, was I kept doing too. it I thought yeah. I had to you know because there's the three guys that you're trying to impress and I, I spent so long just I was ready with pen and paper options. yeah it was yeah. Yeah, very yeah. frustrating but <laughs> amusing after I'd you know cottoned on to the fact that I was just being a bit dense on it also uh, as a nugget of trivia the only time the actual Grim Fandango is ever mentioned is in Olivia's poem uh, about two starstruck lovers who are lost in the world and their search for each other is a four year trial uh, a Grim Fandango Fandango of course being the the, the famous uh, Hispanic dance with the guitars and the castanets and all that sort of thing mm. in case you don't know this show is educational <laughs> Uh, so obviously all this uh, Mexican Day of the Dead stuff ties in with the with the look of the game. Um, so it's uh, it is a uh, an odd uh, mishmash, I suppose, by today's standards of these pre-rendered backdrops. As I say, probably think Resident Evil Two yeah. or uh, uh, Final Fantasy Seven, although probably slightly sharper and, and higher res. But actually, these this is the area where the game uh, for me perhaps has, has aged the most strikingly. Um, but that said, the the, the art of the characters is based on the Kalaka, which is that sort of uh, th those very stylized skulls and skeletons that you see in, uh, well, everywhere these days. We've got a, a kitchen, um, you know, like a, a, a tablecloth that you, you is, is got all the kind of Mexican Day of the Dead colors and designs. So uh, it's it's all over the place. And I actually think that the characters in this look look really, really good. If you, you can, in the remaster, you can just click the right stick in uh, by default and uh, switch back to the original polys, which uh, which don't react to uh, lights and, and stuff like that in the same way. Um, and they're just a bit lower res and the textures are a bit more blocky. But I actually think they did a nice job on the remasters of the, the poly models here. And things like Manny's, one of Manny's, uh, idle animations possibly his only one is uh, is to light and smoke a cigarette there's loads of smoking in this game because it's based on a noir and it came out 20 years ago so <laughs> uh, no problem with that and it absolutely fits and it's right there's even a puzzle there's drinking around. there's some hard drinking as well that's true plenty of drinking that's very true um and uh, and yeah, I think I think the polys look nice. Uh, I have some issues with the backdrops, although I think they they must have looked fairly stunning at the time. Uh, I'll, I'll be interested to hear yeah. uh, from those who played it back in the day. But actually, I think for me now, I'm used to having more communication as to where I can and can't go. So a lot of times, I just got lost because I didn't realise that somewhere was somewhere you could exit the screen, kind of thing. Yeah, but, there's a uh, there's a there's a particularly yeah. bad one of those uh, right at the end when you're at the gate. And you've got the stairs mm. going downwards, but the key oh. the key puzzle area is you can yeah. walk off to the right, but it's it's really unclear. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, there's, there's the the bit that really got me um, in in terms of not actually being able to understand the environment that you're in uh, to the progress. Essentially, mm. you couldn't see the exit. Is when you walk back to the casino when you return to Rubicava, which would be yeah. year four. Mm. Um, and there's the two guys dressed up having a chat with each other. Uh, when you've got to go and spill the coffee on one oh, of them. Oh, the, the um, mm. ladder behind sim them. Simply couldn't see the ladder. Yeah. Same here. Absolutely. Back and forth, yeah. back and forth. I ended up having to check a guide. Yeah. Um, still couldn't see the ladder, even though 
the guy told me there was one there, and it was only when I went to go and interact it ended up climbing yeah. it, and that was really strange. I had trouble I'm finding glad it, wasn't it just me. even though I played the game six or seven times, I had trouble on the PS4 version actually being able to click on it and get up it, and then indeed take the um, the coffee pot up. Yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll save. We'll save because obviously this is we're sort of branching into mechanics here and and things game communication. But actually, that I mean, it is relevant, obviously, in this case. But I'm interested, Carl, on an artistic level and on a on you know back in ninety eight, twenty years ago, almost, and these kind of uh, pre rendered backdrops were quite in vogue. Uh, was this a game that immediately uh, that you found visually attractive, or did it did you did you think, well, this will look its age in five years' time, or, or what? It was absolutely stunning. Uh, um, it, it had a it has a really creative take on stuff, so it never goes to the point that it's so realistic that it ages badly. Now there are some elements in the backdrops that are obviously based on real things. They're simple backdrop items like dishes and whatnot, and that that's fine. You know, it's it's pre rendered, but for the the stuff like the characters or the building design, the the kind of interior decoration, all those elements have a very distinct feel um i mean the, the the whole conceptual art that you unlock at the end is is stunning and actually follows yeah, that really incredible. closely mm. yeah uh, and in in having that sort of slight tweak uh, slight deformation on what should be the real uh measurements towards stuff it keeps it looking a little bit fresh now this isn't a remaster that has aged or looks as good as something like the monkey island games where everything was redrawn because uh, a lot of this is up up and whatnot and, and as a result because it was pre-rendered it does look a little ropey around the edges but back in 1998 it was mm. just absolutely stunning um yeah we, we weren't too far around the corner i mean games were progressing quite rapidly in 1999 we had the likes of quake 3 and unreal tournament and yeah so yeah. far onto unreal uh onto max Payne and and such so we did have we were sort of at the end of of that generation for graphics and things were about to adapt but this was sort of right at the peak of them and for something that was you know a bit of a mutt in terms of its engine they really did kind of mm. wrangle up something that, that is visually quite special and the, the 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 basis of it being day of the dead gave them so much freedom uh, that that if they were to do another take on it a whole different grim fandango now it, you could keep very similar stylings and still have something that looked absolutely beautiful so it, it, i was blown away when i first played it mm. and the only disappointment that I have in terms of its visual appeal is that the very heavy Dia de Muertos styling is a little bit lost by year two and mm. three and four, and it yeah, grows away from it. So yeah. year one is very strong with what you see. And it, yeah. other than the look of the characters, things sort of separate. And also the, the noir side and the art deco side, like Rubacaba Ruba in the second chapter, I just thought was so atmospheric even yes. now, even with its kind of limited sort of interaction. Basically all the characters exist in a, in a, in a model, a frame of models in the backdrop, but basically they're, um, it's all done through maths. Like the, the things that they're in front of and behind is, is pure, you know, geometry. It's not, there's no, you're not actually interacting with those backdrops in any way. It's all triggers. Um, uh, 
so that does sort of have its own feel. I still get like I still really like the animation when you go down the the elevator in Rubicaba down to the club. Mm. That's a really yeah. nice piece of CG. Yeah. It reminded me very much of things like the Gold Saucer in Final Fantasy VII, um, and the excitement of seeing that sort of level of pre-rendered FMV at that time. Or, and, or miss yeah. or mi- a game like Mist to Riven. You know when you sort of right. first exactly. first first see it, it's like wow, that's mm. amazing. Mm. Uh, and CG and, always felt a little bit special uh, towards the late. So yeah. from mid to late nineties, whenever a game had CG, it was oh, you'd sit up and you know, you'd sit up expensive. a little bit straighter and yeah, yeah, pay a little bit more attention uh, yeah. to stuff like that. So they were nice little touches. But it's to get. it's what suffers the most in the remaster, really, is the FMV um, looks pretty. There's a there's a montage when Glottis is driving Manny to the land of the dead. That, mm-hmm. that uh, it's a great uh, FMV scene. Is like smash cuts and it's really exciting and stuff. But they're sort of just the resolution is is they haven't been able to get in there and update that. Yeah. Um, but then yeah. saying that straight after that is they get to the land of the living and I love 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 what they oh they that's do mad that's yeah. yeah and that one really tiny funny. scene and then with the music yeah I was hoping there'd be more of that detuned yeah. piano well it's just I don't know I think it's a nice funny one off. Yeah, yeah, true. Brian, uh, how did you feel now coming to this uh, in 2017 from a visual perspective, the whole game? I didn't have any expectations like i know a lot of people who played it originally and then showed up for the remaster were kind of expecting more than just some you know slightly improved character models so i didn't i didn't come to it expecting anything of it i really thought the art was beautiful still um as you know as old as it is now Mm -hmm. it still really pops off the screen i think Mm. um each area is is really unique and uh distinct from one another I've just, I, got, I lost myself in the world. I really did. I really, I really enjoyed the feel of it. I, one of my daughter's favourite films we watch it over and over again is Book of Life, which is set mm. in the Day of the Dead, and the Land of the Dead as well. And mm. it just, it really felt like that. Okay, so this is, you know, Book of Life is a, you know, modern CGI, really vivid colours, really well done. But it had the same, it had the same feel. It had the same um, kind of. Fresh, freshness to it because you don't we don't see a lot of that I don't think I know you say it's you know that these the, the skulls and things like that are kind of working their way into uh, into culture over over here in the UK and we're starting to see more of it but just the world built around that we don't see yeah uh, quite so much of and it's mm. so for me it's it still it it still works and it and it did hold up and um, yeah this the FMV let it down a little bit but you know you, you with a game like that of the age it is and certainly for the price i paid for it i wasn't going to complain it was mm-hmm. it was you know it was it was it was i can see what was would have been so stunning back then mm. and it still had charm and uh, character now and Me- uh, there's something in regards to the design style even outside of the, the the sort of mexican influence um is the art deco influence that's in there as well yeah and of course yeah i don't yeah. really remember playing many games if any before this where i had such an abundance of art deco styling and i remember finding it absolutely fascinating mm-hmm. um and and even playing now i loved some of the design decisions uh the, the sort of the blending of the two so something that is very art deco but clearly mexican inspired well they joke especially yeah. around like door frames uh and yeah when we think of art deco in games now i'm I think the majority of people will think back to Bioshock. something like Bioshock exactly. Yeah. Um, mm. So to go back to sort of 1998 and see Grim Fandango 
and seeing yeah. this art deco, which is something I'd completely forgotten about. Well, it makes perfect sense because obviously it's based on the, yeah. the, you know, the films of the 30s and they had a lot of, uh, they would have featured a lot of buildings that were built during that boom era. Well, they, they um, call it in the uh, commentaries, they call it Mayan deco. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Uh, Mechner from the forum says the art direction in this game is absolutely astounding it is some of Peter Chan's best conceptual work and according to interviews some of his favourite faux 1930s art deco meets Mexican folklore and Day of the Dead on paper this sounds crazy and couldn't possibly work but hand drawn on paper and brought to life in 3D rendering it is a marvel to behold the whole package is rather insane when you take a step back but it works so well together it seems normal as if these things have always existed together C.H. Davis, meanwhile, says, I don't usually give much thought to graphical achievement if the gameplay is solid, but honestly, the visuals in the remastered version of this game are still just plain bad. Sure, the character models are updated, but the environments are muddy and messy, making it unclear what can be interacted with and what cannot. Given the te technical achievements of remade games like Kingdom Hearts, Rechain of Memories and Metal Gear Solid, The Twin Snakes, I found this effort to reek of laziness. Whipple Dip from the forum says a common criticism of the remastered game is that the graphics haven't aged particularly well and that the upgrades to the character models aren't really that much of a step up. First is you've got to remember that Double Fine is still an independent studio regardless of Tim Schafer's standing and history in the gaming community and can't really compete with the financial backing of a company like Konami to invest a bunch of money into an old game. I also believe that the original backgrounds were either lost or drawn with a static resolution in mind, which would essentially mean that the art team would have to redo every single area. I also believe their price point for the remaster was in line with the amount of changes they put into it. It's worth it just for the remastered version of the soundtrack, which was re-recorded by the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. I think it's pretty easy to look at past graphical fidelity of the time in order to admire the production art set design of this game. Who knew that the garish colouring, crooked lines and irregular angles of Day of the Dead imagery could mix so well with the completely at odds design ethos of Art Deco Nouveau in the sharp lines, ornamental accents and restrained colour palette. It's a striking look and is full of little visual treats hidden away in all locations. Yeah, I mean, it, it, whenever you sort of remaster a game of this style, they do come out looking a little bit rough. It, it, that's just the nature of pre-rendered backgrounds. There's, there's not a lot you can do without remaking it. And if you're trying to get a game like Grim Fandango out, which Tim Schafer was, because he's, first of all, he's incredibly proud of it, and he should have been, and people are crying out to be able to play it again, Yeah. why put so much work into it when you know you can just re-release it and people will buy mm. it? I mean, it, it sounds terrible for you know, from a, a fan perspective, but from a business perspective, it makes sense. And I don't feel robbed. In fact, the thing that I liked least about the remaster were the new models for the characters, because at times you could see uh, deformations in the polygons uh, where there were poorly modeled, poorly lit, put together or, or breaks in the welds of the model. Um, mm. And I found that incredibly distracting. Yeah, uh, I actually play, play I played it all myself. the way through with the revised models on. I thought they I, I thought they worked quite well within within the backdrops, but then I hadn't ever played the original for more than a few hours. So yeah, I mean, I, I did play with the new look, but I'd played so much with the old look that I was they, that's the way I wanted to stay with the mm. new models. But there were times when they go really, really ropey and the models just not right. Um, and mm. it's just not getting lit right. Whether that's an uh, an impact of the engine and how the engines re-rendered modern if it, you know what elements they're using from the old one and the new one but that's the kind of stuff that annoyed me and you can see a lot of stuff's aged well now the music is clearly re-recorded because when you hear some of the voice clips you can hear that it's a really low bit rate when they're talking um 
particularly there's moments with Glottis throughout the middle of the game where his audio is really low quality or the receptionist yeah. in Ruba Carver and you can hear that's a really low bit rate which by the way I love her character and her character voice mm. is absolutely fantastic it's probably my favourite in the game um, but time and time again you do get these low bit rate character models but, and uh, these car- uh, bit rate sound files sorry and do you know what I didn't care because it was just nice to be playing this game again. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I noticed some of the character model stuff as well. But I, I, had it bothered me, I would have switched back to the to the original version. And and I do think you know they if they'd have just stuck it out as it was twenty years ago, I would have I would have been happy to pay the the price to play yeah, it to experience true. it because of because of the fact that I didn't get to back then. I, I just feel that I mean maybe this is like I say I'm sort of I find it difficult to see this game in. Uh, in perspective because it, it's from that era where I fell in love with a couple of different games and uh, sort of hold it up above other things but all mm-hmm. of the technical not to poo poo anyone's opinion on it but I just find all that technical stuff is is point is pointless it's okay it has dated badly as a video game mechanically possibly one could argue and possibly wasn't that brilliantly designed in the first place but as of a work of art um into you know all the story all the characters mm. the the dialogue the music the art um taken as art um it stands up really really well its personality shines through and i just the the remaster none of the technical things bothered me at all the only things that bothered me were things that bothered me in 1998 in the first place mm. what's interesting is there are a few uh, d- despite the fact that i understand that um they actually uh, took some of the the code that was out there in the world um you know community uh, driven stuff basically mods i suppose or, or upgrades that have been because this game was kind of hard to play for a, for a long time because of you know pc operating systems essentially um and they've actually brought in some some fixes and improvements and enhancements from the uh, from the scene but actually there are still some glitches and bugs even in the remaster where i had uh, one scene where manny's head went missing <laughs> another scene where his arm was permanently stuck out in front of him and this was regardless of which which model i was using so so there's still a few uh, yeah a few little glitches and bugs in there but um it didn't yeah nothing game breaking anyway um, we should talk about the characters in the cast. We've sort of already brushed across the characters, um, but the cast in particular, obviously Tony Plana kind of uh, must have uh, recorded an enormous amount of dialogue. Uh, but obviously you've also got Alan Blumenfeld as um, as Glottis and uh, and various other people, Maria Canals Barrera as Meche, and uh, I won't read out the entire list. It's all out there. But um, how did you feel? I like I I'm again. Bear in mind this came out the same year as Resident Evil Two. I know yeah. it's a bad example in the sense that it was a localized Japanese game um, and did start with a with an English language uh, script. Um, however. Uh, you know, I I think um, it, it apart from those low low sample low bitrate samples, like the the performances really really stand up here as one of the strongest sort of facets of the game that were kind of you know ahead of their time in in some ways. Yeah. I really love the guy who plays the the guy by the port. Um, I can't remember his mm. name. Who fishes the old captain? Fishes, yeah, but he also does the French croupier. Um, right. And he was a really heavy, the, the commentary people can listen to, but he was a really heavy smoker and he used to get crotchety yes. in between takes when he needed, That's right. needed a fag. But I, I really love, um, I love every character for me really stands out um, and it's just so colourful uh, across the board, really. Yeah, I, I particularly loved, uh, I, I was very affectionate for uh, Chapito. 
uh, Jack Angel, who played uh, Bruno Martinez uh, and a couple of other characters, Naranja as well. Um, but yeah, Chapito's this little, uh, what is a little? Oh, this little light, uh, this little light of mine. This little light of mine. Yeah, I'm so he ends up basically. That's it. <laughs> he ends up. He ends up. Uh, singing affectionately to his uh, to his little lamp which I, which I thought was quite adorable. and what about but the, yeah, the just... best la- best line in the whole thing where Salvador Limones who's whose delivery his incredibly like formal serious delivery I find hilarious but there's this bit where he he leans in from the side of the screen to say who is this fat man and how does he fit into this sinister puzzle and it's basically <laughs> Tim Schafer just talking directly to you um, I just <laughs> found little touches like that to be absolutely hilarious nice I mean the the character scripting has always been Tim Schafer's strong point. So this is why I would go back with the likes of the Monkey Island games, uh, Full Throttle, Dear the Tentacle. The actual, uh, the, the script itself is so funny. Um, and voice acting wise, I think they're delivered incredibly well, especially for a game in 1998. You know, Resident Evil 2, you, it, it was Japanese. It doesn't matter. You're still comparing it to games that had actual voice acting in it. And this was head and shoulders above so many of that era. And I, it's not something that I appreciated at the time as much as I do now, because I think with Kane Rinse, we go back so often, we go, oh, that is a bit rough. And these are games that are much more new than this. And they're just really ropey. Um, and, and in this, really good. And it's a very qualified voice acting list. Not necessarily yeah. a lot of game voice actors. There's no. a couple in there. But or very accomplished names, but actors. Yeah. Yeah. Proper character actors. This, um, this was properly, you, you learn from the commentary, this was properly cast and they had yeah. you know a proper process and they had proper direction. And it, and it yeah, and it shows. And there's, there's times where I would just be laughing out loud at, at some of the... The lines that were coming out, particularly uh, the bit that stands out the most is after you go into, you're trying to get the metal detector. So you go into the back room and you're listening <laughs> yeah. to a talk and she is going through that and it keeps giving you loads of prompts of things to say. And there's times where she's crying about her mother being, uh, mother dying or a mother being an alcoholic. I can't remember which one of the two is. And he's like, Mom, that begins with M. Do you know what else begins with M? Metal detector. And there's like lines like this are just coming up all the time. Uh, and and if you play it out, obviously it you you get the one for the trophy or the achievement if you're going for it. Is if do you want me to hold that metal detector whilst you cry, uh, kind of thing. And and just it goes on for a good few minutes of just constantly reading all these options of things that that you could say as money. And that was just brilliant because. You only get one of those, and there must have been a good 50 lines flashed up on the screen. Little touches like that are the things that I really appreciated and had me laughing out loud whilst I was playing the game. And everybody's snarky and everybody's neurotic. Um, mm. There's the Like a noir, yeah. The, the balloon, and there's, there's these gags about them being dead, like the balloon clown at the beginning jokes about yeah. carpal... I think there's a joke about carpal tunnel syndrome with no, yeah. with no tendons. Or he says the domino, mm. Manny says the domino... Uh, is it hard to kiss up to the boss when you have no lips? Yeah, yeah. And it's just touches like that all throughout the game, almost every almost yeah. every character. Yeah, tattooing, uh, tattoos on no skin, all that kind of thing, yeah. Mm. yeah. It's delivered so straight as well. The, 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 it's the, the voice actor, Manny's voice actor, I think, makes the game, right? He's such a, yeah. um, he's such a brilliant character. It's so well played. He's the, he's the consummate straight man who all these other characters can bounce off and interact with. Um, and he does it so well. He's I, one of the comment, you know, the commentators earlier was saying it was, um, you know, he's a, he's a bit of a weasel. 
um, he's not particularly um, nice to people. But I don't know. I think he has a he, the voice. His voice has a warmth to it, and there's a friendliness to it. And the way he approaches it, all these people who, who people he may like, he may not. Um, he just has a he has a rapport with them, and that really comes through. I think in the in the in the voice acting mm. and in the script. I like the gag that he turns up at the end of uh, year uh, two. Is it, no, sorry, the end of year one, he turns up at, at this automat and he's handed a mop. Yeah. And one year later, he runs, he's got his own casino and he's running. And then they basically oh, yeah. do the same gag again between the next two years where he, you start with a, a deck hand of a, on a ship. And then by the time it transitions one year later, you're the captain with your own yeah. ship and that sort of thing. I love those transitions. Though. I think they were, the first time it happened, it was really... Um, it, you, you kind of knew that the game wasn't just going to stick you in one place and have you, you know, just going around and around, seeing the same locations over and over again. That yeah, it's a proper odyssey. Different. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. And mm. he, he's definitely the like you said, he's the ideal character for jokes to bounce off because he has so many different lines. And this isn't something where you just want to pick the comedy option or you want to pick the uh, the nemesis option or, or whatever we've seen in so many other RPGs and adventure games these days where it's clearly labelled, ah, this is a positive response, this is a negative response. And you can do the old LucasArts style of picking every line or you can go to the key line. And so some of those lines might seem quite nasty and stuff, but you don't ever have to hear them. Uh, and and it gives it does give a lot of room for other characters to bounce off. And I remember one right towards the end of the game, um, and you're with uh, who's the the, the guy of the LSA, the guy who runs it, Salvador Limones. Yes, and Olivia turns to you and goes, "What are you doing with the head of the LSA?" <laughs> and it is just his head talking to you. Yeah, uh, and not uh, everyone likes that kind of. There's one of our three word reviews alludes to not not digging the joke so much but i'm i'm like i'm a huge fan of the marx brothers so i i really yeah. enjoy that kind of you know corny old-timey pun-based humor and things like that so, and it's not so all the way through that's what i think is what i appreciate it is you get one every say half an hour maybe every hour of, of gameplay it's not like it's just hitting you with these no uh, pun jokes over and over no it's not like a zucker brothers movie kind no. of experience it's uh it's yeah i'd say it's 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 a more florid and and ah, very kind good. of wit, wit, witty script than that oh that is good isn't it yeah. there's there's um, there's even the the florist uh just to pick up on your uh, flowery language there mm. um the florist <laughs> later on where the the puzzle is the gag where if you uh you have to cut some tape off the bell and he he wants Ugh, to shoot you yeah. until you until he thinks you're a legitimate customer, and then he's like, "Hey, come in." Yeah, I hate that puzzle because that was <laughs> yeah, one of weird. the. We'll we'll come on to the. If puzzles. in doubt, get out your scythe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's good tip. Um, so yeah, also the soundtrack uh, is a huge part, I think, in um, sort of creating the world. In this case, in particular, obviously, it's always a, a part of video games that we like to explore. Um, so this is Peter McConnell. And Mechner from the forum says, uh, Peter McConnell's soundtrack captures the atmosphere perfectly. Huge and sprawling noir, epic strings, meeting jazz, bebop and Mexican folk music with flutes dancing atop. Yet again, McConnell talks about this soundtrack as his magnum opus. He puts such love and affection towards both it and the remaster, and it's easy to hear why. Blue Weasel Breath 
says the jazz tracks in particular are amazing i love the expressiveness of the muted horns which typified the era uh, that era of jazz that the soundtrack is evoking i emailed peter mcconnell about 10 years ago asking if he had sheet music available for purchase so i could play the grim fandango tunes with my college big band or my or a small jazz combo he wrote back thanking me for the inquiry and tell, uh, told me that this was the work he was the most proud of, but unfortunately he didn't have the rights to the music. I was thrilled when the remaster featured an updated soundtrack with more real instruments and higher fidelity sound. I believe the original was padded out with some synthetic sounds mm. in places where it would be less obvious. Grim Fandango is easily my favourite uh, game soundtrack of all time, says mm. Blue Weasel Breath. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Like, it's not necessarily the kind of soundtrack where you'll have the actual melodies in your head for them. although having said that some of them if you get stuck might be an earworm but uh, but I thought as a as a tonal piece uh, yeah it's really um, stylishly done any thoughts on the music well I, I you know it's the best thing about the game for me and uh, uh, there's elements of cool jazz and Cuban and Latin and Peruvian when you're when mm. you go out to the festival with the clown with the balloon the music just sells that it's it's literally two screens uh, and then mm. lots of people in the background that you can't interact with. But it, it feels like you're on the side of a South American festival or whatever, mm. um, just because of the brilliant music. Uh, uh, and the only, you know, it's brilliant from the apps, the first note of the whole thing right to the very end, which is quite a subtle closing. And the, he draws on, like Tim Schafer does and, and the art does with influences from movies, he draws on lots of Bernard Herrmann um, vertigo stuff but there's there's yeah. Casablanca in there obviously um, mm -hmm. there's just so many ingredients in there and uh, and I loved the soundtrack before the the remaster I thought it was it was brilliant the first time around as well right um, yeah it, the the only and the only thing of course is that mechanically the game if you're especially Rubicarve if you get stuck on for instance a puzzle involving a forklift and you're going back mm -hmm. and forth and you those those you each track gets this kind of Stockholm syndrome thing because you're just in the area <laughs> clicking on it for thing. And at least the music changes from place to place. But um, uh, yeah, that's a muse. I just, uh, and, and and also sound effects, when you get the scythe out, you get this little kind of church bell rings as you as you brandish your, your scythe. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant as well. But uh, or, or even the, what, what you call diegetic and non-diegetic. So a diegetic is, yes. is music that is in the scene and non-diegetic yeah. music plays in the background. But Glottis playing the piano and singing Bone Wagon, um, <laughs> just all sorts of stuff like that, I thought added mm. even more charm to the game and, and adds this yeah. kind of sheen of quality, which is if you have a problem with the, the 3D graphics, you know, the dated 3D graphics, um, the music just sells the whole thing to me. Every every bit of every problem that game ha has, the soundtrack plasters over for me. Hasn't aged a day, other than it's uh, obviously that you know they've enhanced it. In so, in fact, it's it's done the opposite of aging. If you play the the new version, but obviously it is set in its time period quite uh, accurately and correctly. There's also a few acknowledgements of classic tunes. There's a bit where. Um, in that that bit you were talking about with the receptionist, she starts talking about her home, and then there's a, a reference to "There's no place like home" as one <laughs> of the melodies. Um, and also, yeah, we should say that, that I know from the com commentary that they put in an awful lot more effort into the the, the sound effects than you might have realised. Things like the uh, the echoing in locations was done for real, so rather than canned echoey sound effects, they actually sort of um, 
coded in some uh, reverberations kind of thing so it sounds more so the like things like footsteps in different locations sound more natural than they might have done and I, and I think that stuff can be kind of underestimated as to how much it uh, gives you weight in the world because obviously you're, you're controlling this very surrealistic funny looking slightly you know sort of squat skeletal character so I think it's quite important that he has a, a you know it feels and not only that he's polygons on top of pre-renders so I think that the sound that links the the two kinds of graphics together is kind of vital yeah there's a there's a moment actually when you come out of the main building near the beginning of the game um there's a kind of a highway you come out the front door of the main building and there's a highway off to the side and they haven't mm. they haven't taken the trouble technically to like um either render cars driving past or put no. cars in. but the sound design at that point it sounds like a busy highway and if you're just running mm. past it sells it for you you don't need to see yeah. cars going down a highway. You know what that looks like, but you, you yeah, also know also what that sounds bit, like. The kitty racing track mm. where he, obviously, they, again, in the developer commentary, they say, well, there's a reason why it doesn't go there because it's really <laughs> busy and we can't do busy places because it's really expensive and, and demanding to, to render all those people. So it just, he just you know, like there's a hubbub noise and you see the edges of some people and he just says, I don't like crowded places. And that, that works just fine. That said, I do think the world perhaps feels a little empty at times because of the lack of uh, yeah. the lack of, of peoples within it. But uh, does it feel a little bit dead to you? Oh. Yes. <laughs> um, everyone should indeed. check out the, the soundtrack. The remastered soundtrack is on Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube and anywhere you want to find it. Um, and it's a really good listen. The only thing, if you're going to listen to the soundtrack for pleasure outside of the the game, there's a couple of uh, weird and wonky kind of. Um, basso clarinet stuff that might sound a bit odd uh, trying to listen to in the background while you're working but but so many of the tracks are absolutely brilliant embrace it i say mm. brian or carl anything else to add about the music i do really enjoy the soundtrack to this game and that doesn't sound surprising at all because there's a lot of soundtracks i enjoy but very rarely do i actually enjoy jazz music mm. hmm. Yes, it's, the, it's certainly not something everybody likes. The, the crossover between jazz and blues and, and folk that we, that we see in, the, in this game works so well in the context of the game that when I'm playing it, I really enjoy it in the background. Now, it is a, it is a score that I've listened to uh, independently. It's, it's one that I've had on my PC for a lot of years in the past, um, listened to on and off. And it, it, it sort of makes me smile. Little touches, like you say, when you're at the market and you get the, the, a couple of the chords from like the Monkey Island theme is in there and um, little bits of music around. I really, I, I find so well done uh, for the purpose of this game. But it's the, it's a real the, pick and mix as well. It's the best yeah. of bebop. It's the best of Peruvian panpipe. Um, and stuff you know he really takes all the best elements and just sort of shoves them in there and then remixes them and plays around with them and and the reason peter mcconnell is and there's even star warsy stuff like the more kind of the playful stuff you get from john williams about the uh with the jawas in in star wars um, and obviously yeah. peter mcconnell has done an absolute ton of star wars lucasarts games of course um, but yeah. he he can use that language just as well as any film composer and he draws on so many, yeah. so much wide influence, um, and it really is one of his best. Funnily enough, the uh, the best of Peruvian panpipe music was the album that my headmistress used to put on before assembly every morning. Oh, gosh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before you, anyway. Yeah. Um, right. So, gameplay. Then uh, this is where perhaps hmm. perhaps even the panel will have some some more 
critical words to say. I don't know. Well, I do because I do. Um, so we're talking here controls and interface and really, yeah, interacting with the game and the world and, and we'll come on specifically to puzzles. Um, so to give us an idea, Flavor Mechner from the forum says the gameplay is weak and some people don't like tank controls. I could never understand why as I never had any problems navigating this way. Some people don't like dead ends and getting stuck on, quotes, moon logic puzzles. Again, I grew up playing these games religiously, so I have a very high tolerance to being stuck on such things. For a long time, I suppose you could also argue the original game looks a bit jaggy now. This is back to the previous topic, but not enough to turn me off it although i can see why all these things grate on people and make the experience harder to get into um so the tank controls are the first thing so this was mandatory out of the box um i don't know if any of the fan mods uh, gave you the option to use um i don't know what do you call the where it's kind of based on your your screen orientation anyway the remaster has the alternative control method which i now find more natural Back in the day, I would have had, I don't think I would have had any problem really with tank controls. That is rotating left and right and then pointing forward. Uh, it's how I played Resident Evil and loved those games back in the 90s. And uh, I don't remember that being my issue with Escape from Monkey Island. Um, that was that was other stuff. So, Carl, you uh, and, and Thomas, you go back the furthest with, with this game. So you played tank controls with no other options back in the day did that was that an issue in itself for you or you know were you craving an alternative or was it just well this is how it is it works it was an issue right 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 from the get-go uh, i hated it okay. um now this was the first of the lucasarts games that went sort of 3d where you're walking the environment using your keyboard so you'd use your arrow keys to move around and you'd use your space bar to interact with an object yeah and Sometimes anyone who's played this game will see that it's not always obvious the things that you can interact with in the scene. So you're struggling around, walking around, just waiting to see if he's looking, and then you're not sure if he's looking at what you think he's looking at. And sometimes there's two things near each other. And not being able to use something as precise as the mouse, which I'd mm. used in countless other point-and-clicks prior, was so such a bugbear of mine. Like, right. just let me click on it. Let me just, like, let me click and move around on the scene. I never felt... Like there was mm. any reason to have you navigating around with a mouse and a keyboard, and it felt like this was their their move to sort of push and and future proof it. And it's the same issue that plagued the Broken Sword series when when they went three D and moving around in in the scenes. It just lost what the core element was. Now this game was pulled to, uh, back by stuff like the art style, the characters, the scripting, the music, etc. That we've already talked about, but the controls were still an issue, and. The funny part of it all is, I guess, is that I played with tank controls when I replayed it because... I was going to ask I, you that. <laughs> uh, the reason I did it is I wanted my opinions on this podcast to ring true of what my opinions were back in 1998. Mm, so okay. if I, I knew I didn't like it, but I couldn't put the ins and outs of why I didn't like it in, that, in 98 uh, to be so precise if I'd used the camera orientation navigation yeah. for the character okay. on the modern release. So that's why I played tank controls and I still really don't like it. And nice to know moments... they're there. So you can play it again now if you want with the... Uh... Yes. Yeah, yeah sure. but I, I stuck for tank for this and, and it gives you all those issues like you suddenly you're walking in one direction and you'll turn 180 and move back over and yeah. like, for no reason he's turning 180 and strange elements like that. It's just really bizarre. Um, yeah, wasn't good in 98, still not good now. Okay, so Thomas, I'm very curious. You've played this game multiple times since it came out up, up to the recent 
recent versions, have you ever switched from tank to kind of modern, more, more modern style of control? Or do you just stick with what you know? So originally, I remember the tank controls being um, frustrating where it intersected with a puzzle in a bad way and made the puzzle harder to solve. And of course, yeah, we've got right. a lattice work of overlapping puzzles and then there's yes. a couple of timing ones where the, the beavers, you have to, you know, um, uh, uh, extinguish them and, and stuff mm. like that. I do remember that being frustrating, uh, but mainly being frustrated by the puzzles and not being able to see the solutions. And I'm yeah. sure a bit of that was mechanical. But like you say, Leon, you know, at the time I completed Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2 uh, and later 3, Tomb Raider. I was a huge Final Fantasy 7 fan. And if you're a huge Final Fantasy 7 fan, you can forgive most early 3d control schemes because there's points in that game where up is left and left is down and, <laughs> um it's kind of based on the camera right. but kind of not and a lot of it's diagonal it's very weird so anyway um i remember it being fr frustrating at the time on the on the newer versions the ipad um i think it's like touch a thing and have him run to it if i remember correctly um mm. which i found more natural i think it actually yeah i seem to remember it working but then the other the problem with that is i know this game inside out so i i yes. can't form any kind of clear you know where all the interactive points exactly are, yeah. i know all the quirks yeah. of the puzzles which i'm sure if i was playing it for the absolute first time on ipad they still would have infuriated me um the way that the second half of broken age infuriated me um right uh, and i played that on ipad as well um mm. but ps4 uh, the like, most recent yeah. playthrough play i really blasted through it i used yeah. didn't use tank controls and it, it was fine mm. except that when you're in the bone wagon in the forest suddenly it switches to <laughs> oh. tank controls oh, yeah yeah, yeah, so yeah. there was a couple of weird moments like that until you realize oh yeah okay all right we're switching into tank controls which mm. makes absolutely no sense but um but it was fine and it was more um uh mechanical corners where there was a problem rather than necessarily the the move yeah. movement interface yeah yeah so brian you played this recently for the first time in the remaster version i believe the default controls are now uh oh no i think it does start you on tank controls because there's an achievement a trophy rather starts you the mm. other way it doesn't start you on tank controls you've got to start you start the other way and you've got to change the okay. tank controls and then restart to get the trophy <laughs> oh okay of course you would know that <laughs> um <laughs> yeah uh i bet you've got that one now um yeah so i didn't get that trophy uh brian how, d how did you uh, approach this controls wise um, I, I remember there being some um, consternation about the control system, but I completely forgot about that when I booted it up, and I just started playing it as a point and click because on the PC you can. So it was I was just using the mouse interface uh, to move around. Um, so okay. I had no issues there. Uh, if there were things in the environment to interact with, they would cursor would change, so I could I could figure out where they were, and if I needed to shift screens it would you know you'd have an arrow pointing in the direction you needed to go so i think that's the maybe that's the easy mode uh, the way to play it uh, there were relatively few pain points playing it that way mm. and it felt quite it, uh, I, I don't understand that why tank control was seen to be a thing to put in it plays you know it it, it feels like a point and click adventure mm. it plays like a point and click adventure when you got the mouse plugged in i don't know why that wasn't uh, the the option pursued with uh, originally, but uh, yeah, the only the only there were only two points where I had trouble, and that was the um, the 
signpost in the forest. Oh yeah, yeah. And then the um, searching for the missing uh, key to the boot right at the end, <laughs> where the the, the mouse wasn't it was weird it wasn't precise enough if you'd click it yeah, would take the character a bit too far so for yeah. those points I just plugged in my 360 controller and oh that's uh, all you just had to completely PC. change controller yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. fairly minor right. thing but yeah, yeah I mean I did try doing the, uh, the a little bit of the tank controls on those bits but again mm. I found that was a bit too imprecise so but just being able to plug in an Xbox controller and then having the direct um, uh, joystick control yeah. on the old thumbpad control uh was 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 fine. Uh, I don't know if I I don't know if I would have got on with playing it on a controller that way though, just because having knowing that the cursor would tell me what to look out for and you know the things to sort of navigate towards mm. really made the, the game a lot easier. And I think yeah. I would have got very bored mm-hmm. just running around in circles, clicking the is it the A button or the well, it doesn't quite. It was to... It's not quite that, but you've hit upon my biggest problem with Grim Fandango coming to it in 2017 um, properly for the first time is that I completely understand and respect that they wanted to make this game a zero HUD, n- no screen furniture mm. game, uh, you know, no overlays, no nothing between you and the and the look of the game. And it was really innovative at the time to have Manny to look at points of interest. But I looked, I think I looked up something like five puzzle solutions, which we'll come on to. But actually, I looked up walkthroughs many, many more times than that. And it wasn't that I was stuck on a puzzle. It was that I didn't know there was something there to interact with. And okay, so we can say partly me being an observant, partly the graphics being aged and so, but there's just no, it's just not always apparent what Manny's looking at. Uh, There are are screens where where because of the perspective, it's hard to know whether he's looking at something in the foreground, the background, the midground, whatever else. Um, And yeah, I found that was a real pain. And I just found myself thinking like, I totally understand why you wanted to do this like this was ahead of you know two or three years ahead of eco coming out with with no screen furniture and that being a a talking point about that game and i and i like that when when games do that but i would love it if the remaster as well as having the right click stick for the original polygon models a left click stick just bring up some little arrows or glints or something just to, to show me what i can interact with because that was where i was getting stuck not because i was being you know stupid with the puzzles mm. but where i was just not knowing what i could do where i could go so just something like even final fantasy 7 had the little fingers that only you could bring up the, to point only in the western version very good point people complain about the japanese one but then in the international version as well yeah, yeah. so yes uh something like that would have been i great. wonder if you would all got, have gotten better on, on an ipad I mean, maybe so. There is actually a little bit of HUD on the iPad when you, or just with mouse. Oh, when really? You bring up. I think I'm just trying to remember it. Because last year, I think when you click on something, it gives you some options. Uh, but anyway, it, I think yeah, it's the same as with the I mouse. I think yeah. that's the smoothest right. overall experience okay. I had. But then so I just played with the control. Is, I already know where everything is and what all the yes. buttons are, so I can't really judge it. Right. Okay. It wasn't but, foolproof on the mouse though. There was there was very one specific puzzle. You know the, the room you start off uh, at the beginning of year two. You're in on the balcony outside Manny's office. Well, there was no, there was no arrow to get into the office, <laughs> so I didn't know that there was an office yeah, there. Exactly. I just thought it was down the stairs. Yeah. So I spent uh, that hot. I couldn't solve that puzzle. 
I couldn't believe how Rubicava, how big Rubicava was at first. Mm. Uh, because it's I kept really finding, weird to navigate as kept, well. Yeah, and it is really weird. And because the perspective keeps changing, it, it does your head in a bit. Um, yeah. But that that stuff I can kind of, you know, the idea that you have to solve the, 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 the riddle of how everything links together in your head, I can get with. But not knowing where the inter, you know, the interfaces yeah. are where you can change locations was just, I just found it irritating after a while and just came away from looking it up and going oh for goodness sake i don't think the noir angles helped with it really either that <laughs> yeah kind dutch of angles all that. over the place yeah and yeah whatever else yeah <laughs> it didn't didn't serve it well yeah um which brings us to the actual puzzles so these are the things that prevent the player from moving on and they are arguably the game uh, so while we might all agree about the art and the music and everything else and the script uh, how do we feel about the puzzles and actually progressing through the game, even you know, despite the things I've literally just talked about? So mm. from the forum, Mechner says, if I had one bad thing to say, it's the puzzles aren't that all that memorable or interesting, sometimes just plain boring, particularly one in which you step into a flower shop where the clerk behind the counter won't help you until you ring the bell with your side. The game definitely could have used some Ron Gilbert puzzle dependency chart polish. Uh, though it's only a small gripe to an overall wonderful experience. C.H. Davis says solutions to puzzles, I hazard to call them that, include equipping each item and interacting with every available option just to see what sticks. When I finally figured out what to do, I wasn't thinking, boy, that was clever. Nearly everyone had me saying, wow, that was stupid. Whippledip says, I remember when I first played this being stuck with the ticket printing thing for so long mm. that I eventually just brute forced yep. through it by methodically going through every possible combination, oh, to be 14 years old with unlimited time again until I got it. And I still can't remember how to do it on each subsequent playthrough. You have to give I it just to the right all... guy. There's two windows. Yeah. And if you give the right ticket to the wrong one, and I that's think it. it's yeah, still that wrong. Was, yeah. and, and it's out the screen towards yourself in yeah. a direction that you're that not inclined a, to walk. It's a nasty weird. trick. Uh, yeah. Um, that said, I think the less adventure game logic of the puzzles almost felt too logical in that they were too procedural and that it was basically just following a series of instructions. The gold flecked vodka and the metal detector, the fire weasels on the bridge, for example. Um, finally, on this, Joba Bonobo, before we stick our oar in. This was my first foray into this genre and I'm not ashamed to say that I had to use a walkthrough for a lot of it. This was because so many of the puzzles, particularly in Rubicava, seem to be to talk to everyone you see along with all the items you've collected. This often <laughs> meant that I would just aim be aimlessly wandering around seeing if I missed anyone or if I missed an item and I just did not find it very compelling. The game is full of guess what the developer is thinking puzzles, by far the worst offender being the forest maze. After hours of fruitlessly tying trying multiple ways to solve it i went and looked at a walkthrough clever well-designed puzzles should make you feel silly for looking the answer up these horrendously designed puzzles leave you no choice when you realize the solution is so obscure you just feel angry that you got your time wasted gentlemen <laughs> over to you yeah yeah i don't think um i don't think i ever would have completed this game without a guide uh and indeed when we did it the first time we got stuck and, and literally gave up so uh, mm. and then I probably on subsequent playthroughs leaned really heavily on a guide. And then after that, mm. when you know all the um, <laughs> yeah. solutions and you're playing it just for the fun of the music and the, and the story and everything, it's a mm. totally different experience. So um, I definitely was stumped by this game and uh, I can't say that the puzzles were, were brilliant. I'm, I'm just glad that I did wait to play it because I remember three years before Grim Fandango came out playing the Discworld PC. Oh, goodness point and me. click. I spent yeah, about 50 quid on the 
um, hint line that they had. <laughs> and my parents were not happy about that. And oh, I think I would have bless. racked up even more on this one. So thank God for the universal hint system. Well done, Internet. Um, yeah, thanks for telling. I didn't. Even, I didn't know what that was until you pointed me in its direction. That's that's, cool. that's great because it does. It, at least it drip feeds you yes. clues, which is what a hint system in a game should do, right? So, mm. Grim Fandango um, loses points for not having that in the remastered version. I think that would have been very helpful. Uh, there, to be fair, there were there were only a couple that I got really really stuck on. Um, not, there was only those were the ones that someone needed to tell me exactly where to go yeah right and what to do um most of them were if it's just a little nudge in the right direction you could sort of piece it together yes um lots of nudging so I, yeah. yeah so i think they were quite in in that respect they were some of them were you know a bit weird but you know you could you could you had they the game gave you enough of the pieces the ones that i didn't like the ones i really struggled with were the uh, the cat race thing with the ticket machine? Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah, the ticket machine yeah. was meant to be. Um, I didn't even know what that was for. Really, I thought it was to um, to forge the union pass at one point. So I just forgot about oh, it. Oh right, I no, I worked out. I needed machine. some numbers. I just wasn't sure where to get them. <laughs> well, I had all the numbers. I just didn't know where, what to right. put them in. So I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I yeah. didn't get that. Um, I just forgot to explore that thing. And the the other one was the right at the end when you're having to turn the uh, the floor in the garage to jet uh, to jelly oh to stop. yeah so <laughs> get you have to set ch- you have to clock which tile the water drains away under last because that's the oh no not that one the, sorry no the, the uh, one before the that where you're trying to get the bone wagon oh out. no i did that yeah i was quite pleased i got through that one without looking anything up yeah. see i just i mean i fluked getting him to vomit up the blue stuff yeah but then it said then you need to freeze it and then but, I, <laughs> but yeah and you freeze it okay but what, with what and I and I went yeah. to every location I could think of and I just did not see that tiny little cupboard on the wall in the tattooist's yeah. shop. Yeah. Completely yeah. missed it. And I went back to the tattoo and I hovered around that shelf. So again, and I just didn't. Once again, we're talking about puzzles not being solved because, yeah, there were things you that just, we didn't you know just were just there. Can't see that. And, yeah. yeah, and then the one I said about the one in the office in in year two, just didn't know that room was there. So didn't know the papers were there. Didn't know I could then present them to the revolutionaries. It was yeah, those were the only frustrating ones, and and I agree with the, with the uh, the forum commentator there that you know it, they you don't feel stupid, you feel well that was pretty bad. I feel like from my point of view that this is a pretty major problem with an adventure game that all our correspondence is like yeah everything's great about this game except the puzzles <laughs> puzzles yeah like the bit that you actually have to do to play through the game i think uh, for me this is a major issue carl what, what was your did, did you get horribly stuck back in 98 yeah the the very start of the game is very lucas arts in its style with the putting uh, getting the quote-unquote dead worms and then filling them and then loading the letter system and that kind of stuff is so old school lucas arts but so mm. they weren't a problem for me when i was yeah. a kid it was yeah. the sections after that where that mm. style of sort of out there point and click started to change to a more traditional thing but without the hint system it was so easy to get lost Mm. Uh, and i can't remember the exact point that i either stopped playing or got so stuck that i couldn't progress back in the day but i know the ticket printing one was a nightmare yeah Uh, didn't Mm. like that i got all the numbers because you inspect the big cat in the thing and you look at the photo and you get the two and the six and the tuesday um but I couldn't figure out how to print it, and I'm pressing. I was pressing cross for ages to try and get it to print the ticket, and I realised you got to press up on the D pad, yeah. and it's like that is so. 
unique to that one puzzle that you press up as the interaction and it's, symbol. It's bad on the on PS4, puzzle, than... even when I know exactly what to do, but actually it's like something on the iPad um, with the touch interface. You just touch the button. Yeah. Huh. Like, yeah. You know, and your finger's over the button and you're pressing the interact button, but that's not what you do. You press the... Uh, yeah. and that, that really threw me because I was like, I'm sure this puzzle's right. Mm. And then mm. the worst part is when you finally watch a video on YouTube and you see someone put the same numbers in and just press the button. You're like, how did he do it? <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. So I just mashed everything and eventually that went through. Um, the uh, Using the scythe on the kitty litter tray was one because oh, yeah. I was in the right place, but he was turning the wrong way. Yeah, so for I some reason he was turning at a strange like point and he yeah. was swiping. And I'd, So little things, little niggling ones like that. And, and again, simply just not being able to see stuff in the environment probably the biggest issue of all um trying to trap the alligator's tail i found that puzzle really clunky because i knew what you had to do but it was just so slow and then you're so slow going back and then if you go too far back you accidentally that's another one reset back out the tunnels that's another one that's still and... clunky even when you know what you need to do um, yeah because mm. you've got to if you start climbing down the ladder you then jump down and then the alligator comes after you, you go back up and you run back to the car and you're like, well, I know exactly what I need to do, but it won't let me do it because it keeps playing the animation. Yes. Yeah. I got this one. I got that one fairly quickly. And, and it's interesting that we each had different ones that we particularly struggled with. Um, I think if there's a link between some of them, it's very much, we, we talked, uh, of course, uh, about a game that came out uh, just uh, a little while before this, a couple of years before, uh, Broken Sword. We did a podcast on Broken Sword and the famous, infamous goat puzzle <laughs> where Charles Cecil, the designer, said that he he regrets it because he knows that he kind of broke the rules. Um, and I think some of the puzzles I had the problems with within this game, like the first puzzle I looked up, uh, it was the only one that when I looked it up, I thought, oh, that's cool. That's clever. I should have thought of that. It was the uh, hole punch with the playing card to to reduce the yes. air pressure. So it doesn't. I thought, yeah, that's a good puzzle. I'd I'd played with the hole punch as a toy, got an achievement trophy for it, and then thought, oh well, I've used the hole punch now, and so <laughs> you know disregarded it from puzzles. So that's my own silly fault. So completely, um, I, I. But but then the forest signpost puzzle. I there's there's no that's a bad one hint. There's no hint, logic, horrible. relevance to anything else oh, that's fun. happened in the game <laughs> or fun. As I say, um, my, my nemesis was the, the forklift, 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 the forklift. Because if you're in, not paying that's... attention to the side of the wall whilst the lift goes, <sighs> and then. Even if you are. And even if you are, you don't necessarily know you can climb on the forklift whilst you're in the. Lift. And it's all glitchy. And, even if and you it's do, all... you don't know that you can move it in the between. So it's in the exact right place. And it, yeah, we, we must have spent three hours on that. Um, I would have given up because and if well, I hadn't <laughs> looked up that that's yeah, yeah well yeah totally if I if I hadn't looked if I hadn't looked up and and known that I guess you know maybe sometimes I was slightly more impatient with these puzzles than I would have been because I knew we were on a deadline and I wanted to get yeah. the show prepared and all that kind of thing so I might have been a bit more persistent but actually I don't think I ever would have got that. There's another one where you're trying to grab the uh, the the light that I mentioned earlier. That's a real um, yeah. I remember that back in the day. It Absolutely breaks the rules. <laughs> It breaks the rules. The, like the, the rest of the game, you can't interact at those points. And then suddenly you can because you have to, because Glottis is doing something and you, you can kind of, and it, I mean, it doesn't really make much sense anyway. It is the only but, thing yeah, you can just, do in that scene. But of course, the problem is that sure. it takes so long for him to go all the way around whilst he's singing oh, the yeah. song over and over again. Yeah. As, and as sweet and funny as it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I finally and, figured that yeah. one out. Mm. Uh, uh, late 
as he as I kept missing him, and I realised one of my save files, he was stood right next to me, so I ah, it up genius. and quickly pressed on him, and I got very lucky with that because it was starting to drive me a little bit mad. Yeah, that's cool, and of course, yeah, we should say no autosave in in this game whatsoever. Yeah, uh, not on the remaster. Even in the version, even in the remaster, nope. which is weird. Yeah, so uh, be careful of that. It does give you a warning at the start. And the final puzzle I wanted to mention, um, because I just don't even think there was a little piece of there was there was nothing in the art which reflected it, which is the crack to girder at the end. Now it's quite a clever. Yes. If, I mean it's a bit it's a bit moon logic, but it it's a but it's everything has been explained to you. And I will say that for the most part, a lot of these puzzles there are, there are little verbal clues in the script mm. that have been the seeds have been sown pardon the pun sometime earlier and that's the case with this one which is um use the sprout gun uh and some water or something i can't remember to uh oh it's the your um your squirty thing i can't remember why <laughs> yeah you're a bone grinder that's it mm. bone grinder and sprout gun to uh crack a pillar and it says if you inspect it if you notice that manny's looking at it he says it's cracked but there's no visual like just have a big crack on the screen so you can see there's a big crack there there's nothing there it just doesn't look it didn't to it, me it, didn't. it looks like it's supposed to be there it, yeah so and i i actually i looked that one up up on the internet and it says oh about the cracked sign and i'm looking like at the cracked right. girder and i'm looking at the sign and there's some of the bits of metal are broken i'm like oh well obviously i climbed that ladder and yeah. fix it on the back of the sign and it's no not and the perspective's really weird on that scene as well it's one of those where yeah. you feel like you're trying to walk away and then you keep looping around into the back in the same location and things like that so it yeah, i didn't have a problem with that one but that was literally oh, cool. a fluke it was just because All right. i was searching for something else and i'd i saw um just the word grinder bomb and so when I got there, I was oh. thinking, oh, wait, so you can use the bone grinder to make a bomb. And so that just put that together. But that was, <laughs> it was literally a fluke. And I think that was, a lot of my successes were down to just trying things and getting lucky with them. Or, yeah. Well, that is the old Lucas yeah. Arts. <laughs> I didn't so, mind doing that. The thing, the thing is, as right. I got older, I've just, I've got less patience for it now. I'll do yeah. that for 10 minutes and then I think, oh, I'm just going to go and look it up. Mm. And yeah. it doesn't it doesn't spoil my experience and like I remember back to playing things like Discworld um and feeling like I really ha I liked the oh, game but right. I felt really disappointed by the fact that I couldn't solve any of the puzzles or only 80% of the puzzles I needed to get help with yeah. so I felt dis disappointed but this it, now I don't really I don't mind I'm I'm in it for the story and the experience and the jokes and the music and all that it's i think it's it's fine as i got that's, older i've mellowed yeah that's cool i think and i and i like it, i like that perspective it, but it's something i might probably say in the in the roundup but just that mm. you you with this game you need to know yourself uh, if you know that you're not going to be happy looking up quite a lot of stuff um then maybe watch uh <laughs> watch a competent um no commentary youtube and just enjoy everything in the game or just play through with a guide yeah. you know just play through with mm. the guide and yeah. don't even get yeah. hung up on it so I complete... a time limit like 10 minutes and then could do you, I, I, com <laughs> I completely agree and I, and I and while I do think it's worth doing that um, although actually one of our correspondents who we haven't featured in this uh, show actually said that uh, I think it was Tadinho said he watched a, a, a walkthrough playthrough and didn't get that much out of it but when he did play it even though I think he used a guide a lot he enjoyed it more just because he was engaged with it more mm. by you know actually being interactive that's probably how i would recommend someone coming to it is look get a good walkthrough have it to the side if you need to use it use and it don't, 
there's no shame yeah. in it. Have a look at it in advance, whatever, because all of the good stuff from this game is coming from the script that isn't spoiled in a playthrough in a, a walkthrough. So you still get to experience all the comedy lines, all the things coming together, all the little story trails, etc. Um, still enjoyable with a walkthrough next year. The, the walkthrough is not going to ruin your experience of I playing agree. this game, in my opinion. I agree to an, to a point, but I do think that it's a fairly major shortcoming of a game that where your experience is oh, gated absolutely. by puzzles that most of the puzzle or a large percentage of the puzzles are either ridiculously obscure or very frustrating or mind-bogglingly illogical um and, and i just feel like that's where the for all the wonderfulness of the design of this game aesthetically and, and in terms of story actually the game part is, is pretty weak yeah i gotta say and- just on on the topic of puzzles, the last one I hated. We've already hinted at it yeah. or, or spoken loosely about it. Was the florist puzzle? It just knocking that belt and being served, and then getting the gun off the guy. It was just mm. sort of huh? Yeah, like that that makes like no sense. How did he get to this point that I'm suddenly getting a gun off him? Yeah. Yeah, very odd. Um, yeah, more in the roundup, no doubt. But um, that's definitely, I would say, yeah. So as 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 we were saying there, like, um, yeah, caution advised. If if you don't have any patience for these puzzles, um, yeah, this might not be the game for you, or there might be a way of playing through it without playing it, which is an odd thing to say about a video game. Um, but there you go. So the legacy of the game is sort of interesting in that um, although they said it made money it didn't do well enough um, this was already at the point where things at LucasArts were starting to look like um, they weren't I mean obviously LucasArts was still around for a fair amount of years up until I guess was it Force Unleashed 2 was one of the very last games in what was that 2008 or something like that and then obviously the sale of all the property off um, Lucas kind of retiring and selling everything to Disney um, but yeah, the Escape to Monkey Island did come out, as I say, uh, even got a PS2 port, but um, LucasArts canned sequels that were planned to Sam and Max and Full Throttle. Um, and Mechita from the forum on this says Grim Fandango is considered the killer of point and click adventures, sad considering nearly every facet of its design is pure gold, uh, despite what we just said, but I suppose design aesthetically and puzzle design might be considered separate aspects mm-hmm. um, but obviously key staff left to form Telltale Games I think there's little um, bits of Grim Fandango in things like the Ace Attorney Gak Ten Saiban games from Capcom um, Ghost Trick as well also uh, from that sort of stable Hotel Dusk another Japanese point and click adventure game with noirish elements and LA Noir, lest we forget which is coming out for current gen systems soon and yeah of course Double Fine uh, without Grim Fandango um, Noir could have, doing what could it have done with a dose of humour with <laughs> Tim Schafer humour. <laughs> that would be, yeah, that would be a whole other experience. Uh, I'd be quite into that. Um, yes, more noir games, though, definitely. Mm. Um, for for L.A. Noir's faults, and we covered that game some years ago mm. now. Um, I think the thing we, that most of us did like about it was the the scenario and the setting, uh, if not the uh, the gameplay, which has probably made about as much sense as uh, as Grim Fandango's. Um, yeah, so obviously Double Fine happened, Tim formed his own studio, took some of the key staff, um, and Psychonauts was 
the, their first game as a as an independent studio, I think. Uh, and we covered that again some years ago. And although it was a kind of 3D collect up platformer, I had similar problems with the fact that the, the script and the scenario and everything was charming and witty and original. Um, but I had issues with the actual gameplay. So, yeah, plus a change, all that. Uh, in conclusion, from the forum, we have Nick Turner who says, I finally came to pick this up on Steam earlier this year with the remaster. Sadly, I just couldn't get into it at all. As I never played it in the 90s, I don't have the cloud of nostalgia reminding me how I felt at the time. I only have my current impression of the game and that it's infuriatingly difficult and I just really couldn't get immersed in the world. I also think that perhaps it's a bit too wacky for me. I prefer my games to be more grounded in reality. I don't think I'll ever get around to playing it again, let alone completing it. Mechner. From the forum, again, says I can't recommend Grimm enough and with the remaster available it plays great with camera relative movement as opposed to the much maligned tank controls and it looks great. The low poly models of old are gone, if you want, replaced with shiny new ones and they even react to light sources and shadows. The soundtrack has almost uh, also been mostly re-recorded with live instruments and gives it a whole new exciting depth. Finally, that instant change button between remastered and original never gets old. Go play now. And Whippledip says, my top five games of all time for the longest time consisted of this and Red Dead Redemption. And that's it. Everyone should play it, seriously. It's so well regarded for a reason, even though these days its design is a bit dated. But it's just something that wouldn't get made today and I think offers a narrative experience that people should indulge themselves in. For anyone on the fence, get it. It's on sale often enough that you could get it for five bucks these days. My only caveat is to keep a walkthrough handy to get through the boring sections. <laughs> but aside from that, let yourself get engrossed in the voice acting, the character and world designs, the music, the humour, and a story that echoes the golden age of cinema and pulpy adventure echoing our feelings there but our summaries will follow these three word reviews from twitter follow us do at canaan rinse brian okay pope for moses says viva la revolution jack agravening said dad joke adventure tulip says enjoy the trip my pet roxy says don't get sprouted Bearfish Pius says, Manifold Schaffery Excellence. Dapudi said, Deathless Audiovisual Execution. Brendan Hagnew says, Delightful Afterlife Adventure. And Andrew Elmore says, Favourite Adventure Game. Lovely. Thank you, everybody. So let us summarise uh, to recommend or not to recommend our feelings towards Grim Fandango as a whole. Start with Carl. My attachment to this game isn't based in my history with it or the old affection that I had. It was a game I appreciated. I loved the humour, loved the style, loved the Day of the Dead uh, environments uh, and character designs. And I thought that they, they were uh, the standout elements of it again, going back to it now. But my appreciation of it has grown in some ways, I think. It's written better than I remember. It's certainly voiced better than I remember. And the music having been remastered, adds that little something extra to complete the whole package. And it is a cheap remaster. This isn't a remaster um, how we see so many of them get released where we're talking about an engine from the last generation simply being bumped up a little bit. And, and although we do get the odd remaster where games are fully recreated, they are very rare. Mm. So people should not be expecting miracles from a game released in 1998 been remastered and looking at it now in 19 years later so I think the, the feedback is fair if that's how people feel but I think it's a little bit overly harsh and for anyone who's still listening to this point and hasn't played it 
I personally wouldn't judge it in such a manner and I would definitely be giving it a chance. It's cheap enough. And in the world of great point-and-click adventures, there's very few games that have written comedy better than this. And if I would be pointing fingers at them, they're all Tim Schafer-related games. So it's not a bad pick. Would I, I'd probably choose uh, Monkey Island ahead of something like this now because I think the remasters feel a little bit fresh with a hand-drawn style. But Grim Fandango is well worth a pick-up, especially if you're just looking for something to play on your PS4 or PC um, from the sale. Grab it. Cheers, Carl. So I have very mixed feelings. Uh, having finally played Grim Fandango all the way through, uh, some 15 years or so after first getting hold of it, I think it's uh, it definitely speaks of uh, a, a time when a major studio would come out with a game that had such a you know a different vision and a, a clear identity. And I think um, there was a point when I was in year two and I'd got past a couple of you know tricksy puzzles. Um, as I say, the the one in the first chapter that stuck me, I thought hey, that was a good puzzle, and it was my fault that I didn't solve it. Um, and I was walking around Rubicava and going from place to place and having all these interactions and all these scenes. And I got this real rush of warmth, like a real, um, you know, like being coated in a blanket of comfort of, of a, you know, a simpler, happier time when uh, when things were life was easier and less complicated. And, and I was playing point and click adventure games and they were making me laugh and smile. And it had all this kind of nice uh, throwbacks to noir and uh, and this day of the dead stuff and you know funny characters funny lines um, gentle humor but warm humor loads of warmth I think Tim Shaver's Tim Schafer's imagination and warmth comes through in all of his games even if um, they don't always kind of play how I'd really ideally like them to and that's where the problem started to come in the the more I played it and the further I got past year two the more I just found myself frustrated at the the logic or lack thereof in the game also frustrated with the kind of finding my way around the fact that it wasn't always clear where I could and couldn't go um, the odd glitch and things like that are just not a, a major deal but I think for me they could have made this experience so much more accessible in 2017 by just allowing with a left uh, click of L3 or whatever equivalent to bring up some kind of little hint or device uh, it seems that there are ways around this by playing uh, touch versions or, or mouse versions but um, a lot of people will have this on ps plus and i do recommend um, if you added this to your library on on any format that you you do ex uh, you know experience it in some way it's definitely worth a try but goodness me for a for a game that where the game is the puzzles the puzzles really really let the whole side down very 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 badly for me as wonderful as the script and the performances and the art and everything is uh this is an interactive medium and the interaction here is a real sticking point for me. So caution advised, but uh, I'm really glad that I've finished it and I'm glad that it exists. Thomas. So, yeah, obviously, um, I said at the beginning, this is a game that has weird mix of emotions around it. Um, first of all, because it, uh, I got to it in that glorious period where you're sort of young and impressionable enough to to really be swept up by things. And I put it in a bucket with some of my favourite games that possibly I've forgiven a lot of gameplay faults, like Final Fantasy VII, Resident Evil, Tomb Raider 1, Metal Gear Solid 1. Um, 
sort of breaking it down like this mechanically feels uh, it kind of grates with my soul a little bit because I can't I can't <laughs> disagree I mean welcome to Kane and Rich. I can't yeah I can't disagree with any of the criticism of the of the puzzles because literally the first time I played it was with a, a close friend we stayed up way past midnight on New Year's Eve um we really threw ourselves at the game and we weren't dumb p- kids either we were fairly canny um gamers at, at that even at that point mm. we still hit really bad bottlenecks in ruby carver which is the sort of the second year um but if you were having fun bottlenecks are okay well the, the bottlenecks yeah that but when you're really just sort of going over and over again and running from screen to screen in ruby yeah. carver trying to trying to work it out it, it really what well, haven't a, i clicked a, on a, yet a grind okay. and this was mm. this was back in 98 so um no youtube uh but um, I fell in love with it after that for all of the other trappings, the, the absolutely wonderful characters. Like every single um, NPC in this game has a, has a quirk or, or a bit of life to it. Even the, even the pigeons in the game, even the, the carrier <laughs> pigeons, everything. There's, there's the, the one-armed um, soldier who, who sort of jumps into, um, into jackpot slot machines. <laughs> There's yeah. the the sleazy, slimy guy who can forge anything. There's the the um, uppity police uh, police chief. Just just everyone, and especially the the. It feels weird mentioning it, but the female characters as well really stuck out. Lupe and Lola and Livia and and Meche were all very strong as well. Um, so, I I I I can recommend. If, as long as you know what kind of gamer you are, if it sounds like you would get frustrated by it, you will. Um, if you have the patience and tolerance to kind of in, enjoy a game for those other aspects, um, not beat yourself up about relying on a walkthrough, um, or even that you know you have a kind of the particular personality that you can enjoy someone watching it on, you know, play through it on YouTube. Um, it's very, very much worth diving into, uh, especially if you've got it sitting on your PlayStation from PS Plus. And I'd say at the very least, if you wanted to just dive in, I'd say use a walkthrough to get to the more or less end of Rubicava, just to where you've been to every area of it and you've spoken to all the NPCs in Rubicava, because there's a couple of really nasty puzzles that kind of chop the game in half, in, in a sense, at that point. Um, mm. But there's so much life and vivacity and, and colour to it um, uh, up to that point. I'd say probably the first half of the game had a bit more personality because, of course, in year four, they you revisit revisit a couple of areas um, as well, which on the one hand, you can see it cynically and say, oh, well, they're just sort of repurposing assets. On the other hand, because of the the... Uh, narrative arc where you're jumping forward for several years and stuff it has this kind of nice feeling of looping back on itself and indeed when you guys pointed out the fact that Manny is always kind of finishing year mopping the floor and then ending up as the captain of the ship or the owner of the casino the whole game loops back on itself where the final shot is of the uh, this pool of water but it actually mirrors the ashtray from the, yeah. the beginning of the game and I just think there's so many touches like it uh, like that in it in the game that it's worth pushing through the central mechanics which are weak um, just to enjoy everything else about the game and I can't recommend highly enough the music the 
the artistry of it um, and the humour and the characters. It, it really is peak performance. And I, it kind of makes me think of like, you know, in Pro Evo, where you get the little graph that shows where someone's good at defense <laughs> yeah. but bad at attack or, or something it's like absolutely maxed out on all these other elements and then really really <laughs> kind of takes yeah. a dive when it comes to the to the puzzles um but so yeah so i can i can only recommend it to people who know they would get something out of it uh, i can't recommend it generally but then i i love it dearly hmm. uh, myself hmm. and um and yeah because my buddy my buddy was taken from us just a, even just a few months ago, um, mm. and uh, and my very first playthrough of it is is sort of tied very closely to to memories of him. It it's going to have a really weird place uh, in my heart, I think, going forward. And I, I don't know if I'll ever play it again. You know, played it several yeah. times now, but um, but yeah, it's a it's a it, it brings up very strange and mixed emotions. Mm. Cool. Thanks, Thomas. And uh, let's finish with Brian. Well, picking up on that point that Thomas just made, I, I will definitely be playing it again. So it's my first time through, as I've said. Um, and I think like all the other Tim Schafer adventure games, you know, earlier this year, by coincidence, I think I went through the fourth or fifth time I'd gone through Day of the Tentacle. Mm. Um, second or third time of going through Full Throttle when that came out, the, the remaster came remaster, out. Remaster, yeah. Um, this one, so I... For, for you know, for whatever reason, I hadn't, I didn't get to play it for almost twenty years, and I'm, I'm glad I finally did. You know, I, it's a, it's a dated game in terms of gameplay, um, but I, I kind of, I don't know, I might be stretching a little bit here, but it feels to me like a, it's almost a proto Telltale game. You know, mm. it's, I think the, the people designing adventure games now, you can, you can see that they might be looking at. What Grim Fandango, uh, Grim Fandango did brilliantly, which is the world building, the characters, the kind of um, trying to make you more of a, a, a character of a physical actor in that world, giving you direct control, and looking at what they did wrong, um, and taking out some of the slightly odd puzzles mm-hmm. and sort of just smoothing it over a bit more, making it making them more adventure games rather than too few puzzles. Some like say, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, arguably they've it's gone too far the other way um but i just think and and the the structure of it the the four year thing uh really i played it in those chunks you know i would try and play one section uh have a couple of days off go back to the other section i thought that that worked really well and i can see why this episodic approach to adventure games now um does resonate with people and i think you know to it to its credit uh, Grim Fandango was kind of playing with that a little bit with, with with the way they structured the game there. So I would recommend it, you know, for, for for those reasons. It's part of you know adventure game history. It is. It's a funny, a warm game. It's really lovely to look at. Really great to listen to. Um, and it and it definitely will be. It'll be sticking around on my on my Steam uh, games list. And I will be maybe not every year, but every couple of years, I will be giving it another run through. Lovely, thanks, Brian. Yes, we should say uh, uh, P- uh, Peter Sakel certainly uh, of from the team uh, is a key figure at Telltale. I think maybe at least one of the others is as well. So it makes perfect sense that there's DNA there. I think so. Yeah, I'm, as I say, the, the, the links might not be as obvious as that, but I just think there is there are, there's so much that it gets right um, that is reflected in modern adventure games, and the things that it gets wrong, you know, were were kind of teased out of it. And I think it, it it's it is a point on the path to where we are now, I think. 
Yeah, we should also say, we haven't really said, but this is not a, a short game. Um, you no. can, although you can, if you skip all the dialogue and the uh, cutscenes, you can finish it in about an hour and 20 or something speed like that, according it. to, <laughs> yeah, speed run it. Um, if you if you know it intimately inside out, you're, you're probably looking at um, 12 to 15 hours, uh, depending on how often you get stuck and how quickly you look up walkthroughs. But uh, it's, a, it's a big old, yeah, it's a big old thing. It's not uh, not to be underestimated. Yeah, my, my playthrough was 11 hours. Yeah. Total, so. mm. All right. Well, that's been very interesting. Uh, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Carl, Brian and Thomas, as well as our correspondents and all of you for listening. Uh, Brian, do you, have you, do you have anything you want to uh, pimp out there? You haven't uh, <laughs> told our listeners about your social media for a while? I don't. Yeah, no, social media um, doesn't really factor in my life, unfortunately. No. I, um, the, the, the stuff that's been keeping me busy is entirely unrelated to games and, in fact, is means I don't play as many games as I would like to. But yeah. Yeah. Well, You should re- remain an enigma, but forever Indeed. in our hearts, a friend of the show. Uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again next year sometime. Um, so. Thomas, you, you've got things to plug. Uh, definitely, yeah. So I work with Laced Records, which puts out video game soundtracks such as Ukulele, No Man's Sky, Strafe, and very recently we just announced the, the Talos Principle uh, vinyl in the last couple of days um, cool. also Absolver uh, very recently as well I, uh, apart from helping out with social media I run uh, the blog arm of Lace Records called Laced With Wax which unfortunately doesn't reside at lacedwithwax.com anymore which would be really easy but is um, if mm. you just go to lacedrecords.com uh, there's a blog button which will take you there and we do all sorts of things like interviews with composers not just composers from the um, soundtracks we work with but people like Joris de Man who did Horizon Zero Dawn we do uh, really in-depth art um, interviews with uh, for instance El Huevo who did the front covers of the Hotline Miami games um, who did some vinyl artwork for Absolver and Hotline Miami uh, and yeah we just try we do lots of fun stupid listicles and um, and generally uh really dive deeply into video game music and soundtracks and all of the culture around that um you can find us at laced underscore records on twitter and you can try and find me on twitter at t quillfelt but um good luck spelling my second name it's probably worth looking me up uh some other way phonetically no that doesn't work <laughs> all right Thank you, Thomas. Uh, remember, listeners, if you have enjoyed this show and our others, please do consider heading to Patreon uh, and donating that minimum of a dollar per month. You can donate more if you want. It does let you do that. Patreon.com slash Uh Also, I suppose I could mention we have an Instagram now as well. Finally, we've got around to setting up an Instagram. That will be at uh, Kane and Rince or, you know, something along those lines. Find us there. Anyway, next time, in issue 292, it's the third of our four podcasts about Geralt Arivia and his adventures in our The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt show. Until then. Mm-hmm.